Thank you for listening to the Rivers Church podcast with Pastor Andre and the Rivers team. Be sure to subscribe for a weekly dose of encouragement and inspiration to help your daily life. We pray that this message will help in whatever season of life you might be in. Now, as we continue with the series, The Perfect Ten, I don't know if you're aware of it, but in America, there's been a drive to remove all symbols of Christianity from public places, and in a lot of courts and, and uh, judicial buildings, they have the Ten Commandments, some of them have monuments, and the Barna Research Institute decided to go to people and ask them, what do you think about this? And uh, the overwhelming majority of Christians in America want the, uh, in fact, the overwhelming majority of Americans want these symbols to remain, and they said less than one out of five adults, that's only 18%, supports the removal of these things. So less than 18, uh, less than one in five, only 18% said, yeah, get rid of them. The rest said, no, they should stay there. Then they asked people, uh, 79% of adults uh, reject the removal policy. They say, no, why do you want to remove it? Nearly 80% say, hey, keep them there. What's, what's, what's the problem? And in some places, they've been broken down. People drive cars into them at night. That's how rebellious our society is. But 60% of adults were strongly opposed to removing the Ten Commandments. You know, that gives me courage. Gives me a, a bit of positivity that not everybody is going along with the stream. Sometimes you can think on social media, everybody's anti, and you're the lunatic. No, it's not true. Many people are holding on to God. And here's the weird thing. Some atheists even believe that the Ten Commandments are good. Thomas Huxley, he, he promoted evolution. He was one who took Darwin's writings and, and furthered them. They say Darwin became famous because of Thomas Huxley. But this is what Thomas Huxley said. He said, a man's worst difficulties begin when he's able to do as he likes. So we don't have God. We don't have any God, but you can't do as you like. Well, who says I must do as you say? Each man's opinion is different. Authority and, and right and wrong come from God. And we get confused. And the great uh, G.K. Chesterton, he spoke about laws and government. He said this, if men will not be governed by the Ten Commandments, they will be governed by the Ten Thousand Commandments. Isn't that true? And that's why we have so many laws in our society, millions of laws to enforce the Ten Commandments. But if we taught children the Ten Commandments, maybe that, that uh, would be in them from the beginning and they would be directed by God and then led by the Spirit. Now, Christians often say we're not under the law, and I want to just recap on this for those that have not heard, but even those who have heard, it's good for us to hear this. We're not under the law, the Bible says, but that means we're not under the ceremonial law, and we can't earn favor with God, but we're always under God's moral law, His unchanging values. And so we can never excuse us, oh, I'm not under law. No, we have God's moral law, and He's a good guide for us. And if you read the Psalms repeatedly, you will read that it says the law is good, especially Psalm 19 and Psalm 119 speaks of the law as being very good. And so they're not obsolete for living, but they are obsolete for salvation because we are saved through God's mercy and grace. But they guide us in our living. So they don't save us, but they shape us. We are justified by faith, but we are sanctified by living right. Are you with me? And enjoy justification. You know, God has given you the gift of justice, just as if you'd never sinned. However, you know who you are. I know who I am. So while I'm justified, I live sanctified by obeying God's law. Are you with me? And this is where we make a mistake and we become uh, 
we, we get into licentiousness instead of living in liberty. Now, the Ten Commandments are very simple. The fi first five are about those above us, God and our parents, and then the next five are about those alongside us and how we should relate to people, our peers and our neighbor and people that we live with. And Jesus in the New Testament endorses the commandments. Many people don't realize that. So, you know, through Christ, I'm in liberty. Yes, but Jesus endorsed the commandments. And before I get to the practical outworking here, Mark chapter 10, let me remind you of this. It, it, it says that a man came to Jesus and asked him, how can I inherit eternal life? Notice what Jesus says. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good, Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. In other words, people are rotten to the core. Can I say this? I think one of the biggest problems in the world today is that a lot of people believe that people are essentially good. Your children, when they're born, they're all good men. If you didn't put them just with certain influences, you know, then they would just grab good. Nonsense. Foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child. There is no one good. There is no one. Hence, we need the Ten Commandments. Now, notice what he says here. Uh, you know the commandments, Jesus says. You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not get false testimony, you shall not defraud, honor your father and mother. And then the young man says, these I've kept since I was young. So Jesus endorses the commandments as a way to live right and to earn favor with God. Now that's what, they only had the, New, the Old Testament in those days. There was no Gospels or New Testament. They lived by that. And Jesus was saying, well, that's the way to live according to God's will. He was about to die. He didn't say, hey, chill out. You don't have to keep those laws. I'm going to die. Just hang out. If you can hold on for about a year or so, I'll be on the cross. Over, baby. You and your goose can live together. You can smoke dope. It will just be freedom. No, he didn't say that. He asked him, what is it that you're doing? How are you living? Are you with me? And then we find a verse in Revelation, and I want to explain this to you because we, we don't get teaching on this balance. Revelation 12, and it talks about the church, and here Jesus speaking to John confirms those who, who he endorses as the members of the church. And it says here, then the dragon was enraged, speaking of the devil, enraged at the woman, that's speaking of Israel, and went off to wage war against the rest of her offspring. The church came from Israel. As you know. Those who keep God's commands, and watch, and hold fast to their testimony about Jesus. So the Christian keeps God's commands, but also holds fast to their testimony that Jesus saved them by grace. You see, the law came through Moses, only the law, but grace and truth came through Jesus. So the truth comes, but then the grace also comes to live. So we have the testimony of Jesus, and we keep his commands. And we all have these 10 commandments waging war in us. So in fact, they call the 10 struggles. I was reading a fascinating book by a man called Colin Smith, and he calls it Life's 10 Greatest Struggles. And he says this, and this is important to understand about the Ten Commandments, and I'll, I'll read the, the text in a moment. He says, God was not saying, I'm giving you these commands, and by keeping them, you may become my people. He was saying, I'm giving you these commands because you are my people. The Lord tells us how people who belong to God ought to live. So is, you can clap. 
In Kailami, hear me today. Israel was saved by blood on the doorposts. The grace of God and the, the judgment of God passed over them. But when they went into the wilderness, they were given the law. And they were taught how to live according to, uh, as being the people of God. So we're not saved through keeping the law. We're saved through the blood. However, the law comes to show us how we ought to live. So Exodus 20, you say it's about time. Exodus 20. And we're going to deal with the sixth commandment today. How many of you enjoying the series? Right. And God spoke all these words. Not Moses. Wasn't Moses' idea? God's idea. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me, even if they are trendy and cool. You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven or on earth, beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me. You hate God if you don't, you don't obey him. But showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltly guiltless, sorry, who misuses his name. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. In other words, don't forget it. You shall, um, for the, sorry, let me find my place. Six days, yes. I know it is, I just gotta find it. You know what's happening as you get older? The print gets smaller. When I was, when I was younger, I just like glanced down, just glanced down, and I'm like, where am I? Verse 9, six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath. Notice, to the Lord your God. So it's first about God, then it's about you. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son nor your daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. I said it last week, here's the first labor law. We don't need the worker to be protected by some fancy system that we create, and we need protection. We've got God's law here. We just need to follow it. Isn't that true? For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth and the sea that all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and your mother so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. Now we come to the sixth commandment. You shall not murder. Now here's the question. Four words. I'm sure that most of us in Kailami at home and in the room have not killed anybody. So how do I take four words and say more about them? What's the point? It's very simple. You shall not murder. Bow your heads. Amen. <laughs> no, there's much more to it than meets the eye. And that's why we need to teach on it. And that's what I'm going to do today. It goes beyond the scope of those four words. You shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not give false testimony against your neighbor, you shall not covet your neighbor's house, you shall not covet your neighbor's wife, or his male or female servant, his ox, donkey, or anything that belongs to his neighbor. Now here's the thing. This sixth commandment forbids murder, not killing. And the word for killing and the word for murder are two different words in the Hebrew. And it's not saying you shall not kill, it's saying you shall not murder anyone. You see, there's moral killing and there's immoral killing. Are you with me? And uh, if, if, it, if it was like the King James, which has caused misunderstanding, thou shalt not kill, then you get Christians who are what we call pacifists. 
killing of any kind is wrong, and they're very sentimental about it. But here's the problem. If all killing would be wrong, then God himself is confused. Because actually, as you read beyond here uh, into Leviticus, he tells you if someone murders someone else, you must kill them. But you just told me you mustn't kill. No, you shall not murder, but you can kill because certain times you need to kill. And I'll tell you what, we're getting to a dangerous place in our world where everybody is saying the spend on arms is unnecessary. What, has man suddenly become good? You've seen what's happened in Mozambique on the border. Drop your guard, and the next minute you've got terrorists just up the road. You need an army. And sometimes when you actually step out and kill, when they haven't attacked you, it prevents them attacking you. One of the greatest dilemmas of the world is uh, Hiroshima, Nagasaki. How could the Americans go there? Well, the Japanese had already shown that they were going to destroy America. They, they had appealed to them to stop, and they didn't listen, so they went in and they killed, but it wasn't murder. Why? Because it prevented millions of people from dying. Now, if you're a pacifist, you're not living in the real world, and you're not understanding the commandments. And part of the problem, part of the problem today is that we have become sentimental about everything instead of focusing on truth. And I need to unpack this today because it's very important that we understand the difference between killing and murder. You know, when, when you kill someone accidentally, you, you know, you knock someone down, you don't say, you don't go home and say, you arrive home and you tell your wife, you won't believe what happened to me now. I, I drove down the road and I murdered a man. No one says that. I drove down the road and I killed a man. Because it's killing and murder are two different things. One is unintentional or it's in self-defense. The other is intentional. There are three types of killing. Write this down if you're making notes today. The first one is in wartime. And that is the legal allowed, the Bible speaks about it repeatedly, where you have to go in and defend yourself or attack someone else. And, uh, and, and God endorses that. I can't spend a lot of time on that, but that's one of the dimensions mentioned in the Bible. And in wartime, it's not up to an individual. It's up to the state because one person can't decide. And so... That is endorsed in Scripture. Then secondly, the one that we see often is as punishment. That's the second type of killing. And uh, the only time you shouldn't put someone to death is uh, as punishment is if there wasn't premeditated murder. So accidental killing. Someone kills someone accidentally. Uh, you, don't, you don't kill them for it. But if someone has premeditated murder, then the Bible says they should be put to death because human life is very valuable. You see, here's the thing, the death penalty is not the devaluing of human life, the death penalty is highly valuing human life. It's saying if someone takes a life, they deserve, there must be some kind of penalty. And you study Exodus, uh, sorry, Deuteronomy 21, you'll see that if the elders of the city are told there was a man found in the field and someone has killed him and run away, the elders must take a heifer and break its neck and it, it must be sacrificed and they must sprinkle the blood because a life has been lost and you can't take it casually. But what have we done in our world? We just treat death like, oh, there's another death. There's another death. There's another death. And it doesn't really matter and it doesn't touch us. But now, we've moved in our society from wartime and punishment. We now kill, listen to me, at the beginning of life and the end of life. So we murder babies in the womb. Why? Because of convenience. And a child, can I say this? A child, no, no woman who falls pregnant says, I've got a fetus trying to decide what to do. I have fallen pregnant. I'm having a 
baby. But you see, it's amazing how you can change your thinking if your career is at stake or you don't love the person or, or they are forcing you to get rid of it. We now kill at the beginning of life and you know what? We are killing the helpless, the unborn in the womb. Thou shalt not murder. Psalm 139 says God is there in the womb, busy forming us. You know, the heartbeat, it takes place very, very early on. And I remember one of the... Uh, um, doctors who was involved in abortion, one day he put a scope in and listened, and you could hear the heartbeat, and then they finally invented that thing where you could see in and see what was going on, and he saw the chambers of the heart, and he completely turned around and stopped abortions because he realized there was life right from the beginning. So we kill at the beginning, uh, and you know, we say, well, you know, someone has, has been raped and so on, but um, you know, God, the Bible says this in, in Proverbs 6 and verse 16, God hates hands that shed innocent blood. And really, a helpless, unborn child, uh, you know, shouldn't be killed. But yeah, we kill at the end of life. So now you, 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 know, like your pet, you take your pet to the vet, and, that, you know, he's got a little bit of cancer in the hip, you know. And it's going to cost you seven grand. And, you know, you might get cancer in the other hip, you know. So I'll just put him down. Oh, thank you. That's so kind, you know. We so love little Spike, you know, that we... And we pay money to put him down. So when granny gets one hip that's got something wrong with, and then granny has another hip problem, we just want to put her down. No, but we, we want to put her out of her misery. Yeah, but what about the will? Is there a motive? This is too risky. Weak, thou shalt do no murder. You shouldn't kill. You should leave it up to God. Now, stopping life support or not providing all the medical luxuries that's something you can decide to do and let the person die in peace. But you can't euthanize them. That's not biblical. God takes life. Are you with me? Now, I don't have time to speak about the fourth kind today, which is suicide. The Bible says you shouldn't take your own life because it's a gift from God. But you understand the principle. So let me give you this morning seven causes for the escalation of murder and violence in our world. And then I'll give you seven ways that we need to prevent ourselves from going down that road because it's more than just the four words. Is this helping so far? Got so much I want to say. Number one, the reason why there's such an escalation of murder and violence in our world today is people are viewed as objects in a random world. People are viewed as objects in a random world. This world has no meaning. We don't come from anywhere. We've not been created. We're in fact, we're evolved animals, and so people don't matter anymore. And if you, if you believe in evolution, then man just is just a sophisticated animal. And why should we protect him? And, uh, and, and, and uh, that's the view we have. But, I mean, if you put a watch beside a baby, I mean, what's the value of a watch? Even a Rolex or some expensive watch with jewels and sorosity crystals in it. I mean, compare that to a human life. Gosh, there's no comparison. And, uh, but we've got this view that there is no value in human life. And interestingly enough, I was reading some history on this. There's a woman called Countess Elizabeth Bathory, from Hungary, and in 1560, she lived 1560 to 1614, she was accused of killing 610 young girls and bathing in their blood. She, she is convicted, in fact, she's guilty of killing the most persons, uh, sorry, she's officially been charged with murdering the most persons in history other than wartime and so on, and uh, it's because she didn't see them as human beings. She killed them like flies. She saw them as objects rather than as human beings. How do you view people today? Number two, the second reason is high levels of sin and selfishness. 
me alone. Marriage and family are not high values, and we overvalue ourselves and undervalue others. And, and I want to just say this, people say, oh, but murder, and, and you know, murder is caused by poverty. No, it's not. Stop being sentimental about the causes of sin in the world. The more you make them social, the less you place responsibility on people. Rich people murder, so do poor people. It's not the poor, I'm so poor I didn't have anything, I broke into a house, I killed someone. No, sin causes murder, whether rich or poor. And the more you make it sentimental, the more you deny people personal responsibility. And we have to admit that people have got high levels of sin and selfishness, and sin is in the hearts of people. It was in Cain from the very beginning. And in Revelation 9, it talks about the last days. And I want to remind you, this is what we're living in right now. Revelation 9, notice this. It says that the rest of mankind that were not killed by these plagues still did not repent of the work of their hands. Watch this. They did not stop worshiping demons and idols of gold, silver, bronze, wood, and stone, idols that cannot see, hear, or walk, nor did they repent of their murders, their magic arts. Magic arts? I'll come to it in a moment. Their sexual immorality or their thefts. So their several commandments will be broken even in the last days. Why? Because of social conditions. No, because of the sin and selfishness of man's arts. And here it says that there'll be several things that they'll do. They worship idols. They'll break the first commandments. And uh, then they will murder. They will uh, steal. They'll break another commandment. And uh, they, they will uh, commit sexual immorality. There'll be no boundaries anymore. They'll just carry on saying, no, we can do what we feel. And then they will continue to practice magic arts. Most people don't know what that means. But in the Greek, it's the word pharmakia, from which we get the word pharmacy, which is the dispensing or mixing or use of drugs. So the use of drugs to satisfy and, and create thrill and pleasure, plus doing what I feel, plus the devaluing of human beings, will mean that violence and crime will just increase and increase. No matter which political party or which government is in power, this world is not getting better, it's getting worse. The answer is always God's law and the church. Number three, the third thing is, life is not seen as a gift originating with God. You see, Adam was created in God's image and was accountable to God. And here's the thing. As soon as the flood took place, Noah was reminded of this. One of the few things the Lord reminded him about, seed time and harvest, you know, the earth will continue, be fruitful and multiply. This is what the Lord said to Noah as soon as he came out the ark. He says, and for your lifeblood, I will surely demand an accounting. I'll demand an accounting from every animal. And from each man too. I will demand an accounting for the life of his fellow man. Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. For in the image of God, sorry, in the image of God has God made man. See, the death penalty is not some barbaric thing. It's because human life is so valuable because the image of God is on people. But we no longer believe that people originate with God. We've become sentimental and soft. We're soft on crime because we believe crime and murder and all these things are social ills instead of sin in the heart of man. Number four, it's very quiet in this Presbyterian church. Are you with me in Kaalami and at home? Number four, there are lower levels of personal responsibility for actions. When people murder today, they excuse themselves. 
You've seen the case that's been in the news where a woman insured a whole lot of her family members and then murdered them to collect the money. She didn't get up in court and say, I'm guilty, you caught me, I'm so sorry. No, people don't take responsibility. They blame everybody else. They blame the past. They, bl they blame the present. They blame their parents. And uh, it's not my fault. They made me do it. And uh, people are put in prison today, and even in prison, they say, I didn't do it, it's not my fault. You see how they view, here's an interesting thing. Do you know how people view criminals today? They're not viewed as criminals, they're viewed as patients. Society's ills made them do it. Shame, look at them there. Give them a TV, give them free education. Let them get a university degree. Let them have a nice mattress, you know, the one where you can bend and you can sit up in the bed. And then nice slippers, you know, and then some recreation. And let churches come and put basketball courts in. No. You need to feel the heat so you don't do it again. You spend three months here like I'm never going back there. Come on. Got this weird idea, like we know better than God. Theodore Dalrymple is an author that I have read a lot of books of, it's his pen name, and uh, he's written a book called The Culture, or What's Left of It. And because he was a prison psychologist for many, many years, he worked in prisons, he says here that this Justice Secretary, because he's from England, he says, Kenneth Clark, a Justice Secretary in the UK, says that the criminal justice system should be therapeutic rather than merely protective and deterrent. According to this view, if punishment fails to reform the criminal, then it is not only worthless, primitive, and cruel. This is so even if prison conditions are good. I'm reminded, he says, of a conversation I once had with a career burglar in prison. I don't need prison doctor, he said. I need help. Prison's no use to me, but it's of use to me, I said. What do you mean, he asked. Well, while well, well, you're in prison, you're not burgling my house. <laughs> See, the criminal is like, it's not helping me. It's helping me. If you kill people and you're in prison, you don't have to kill someone else in my family. Hmm? If you're a drunk driver, you're in prison. If you, keep, if you keep on stealing, we put you in prison. Why? You don't steal from the rest of us. But it's become about the prisoner now. What about us? Hmm? See, it becomes about the woman. What about the baby? But I have rights over my body. You have rights over your body. Your right to refuse should have happened before. Not now. Oh, I refuse to have this child. No, no. You should have. Anyway, you know what I mean. You should have said no before. Sorry. You know, people are so. You know what I can't handle in the world today? Is we've taken God's law and we've pushed it aside and in place of it we've got feelings and sentimentality and it sounds like sympathy and love but it's weakness and it's dishonoring of human life and dishonoring of God. Number five, high levels of anger. You see, thou shalt not murder. It comes from anger. How do you deal with your anger? Because Jesus here in Matthew chapter five tells us where murder comes from. He says, you have heard that it was said to people long ago, you shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister is subject to, to judgment. See, anger that boiled over. Cain killed Abel. Why? Because his anger at, at the rejection boiled over. And we've got to guard our anger. Today, people vent their anger. Road rage, crazy stuff happens. 
And murder is rife in South Africa. I don't know if you realize it, 57 people get killed every day in South Africa. Since the beginning from, uh, of democracy in 1994, 20,000 political killings have taken place in our country. 20,000. And we talk about the dawn of democracy. Well, apparently many people don't understand it. They believe that killing is the way to get your human rights. Half a million people have died in our country in political killings and murders since 1994. You think that's right? I think we need to bring the Ten Commandments back. And we need to govern our society with them. Can you say amen? The, US, the, the, the American murder rate has increased by 30% since 2019, and they say it's the highest increase in recorded history. Murder is on the increase because people are more angry and frustrated than ever before. Number six, Satan is behind all unlawful killing. Do you realize that? Don't think that, oh no, you know, yeah, it's, it's because people, there's so much inequality, that's why they kill one another. No, no, no. Satan is behind all killing because he hates the image of God on people. Let me remind you of this here. 1 John 3, he's, uh, uh, verse 12. This is, this is John writing to the church. He says, do not be like Cain, who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own actions were evil and his brothers were righteous. See, he belonged to the evil one. Then again in John chapter 8, Jesus speaking, you belong to your father, the devil. You want to carry out your father's desire. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. Murder is not a social issue, it is a demonic issue. It is being led by your feelings and your flesh and denying God's truth and acting it out and destroying that which has the image of God in it, another human being. Is this making sense today? And here's number seven. Here's the seventh reason. I need to go quickly. Here's why murder and violence is on the increase. We enter, entertain ourselves with death and murder. Most movies and dramas and, and plays have gruesome murders and killings in them. Listen, I can tell you at my age, when I first used to go to the movies, you'd see someone throw a spear, and then you'd see someone do this. And you know, when they were acting it, he took a spear, and he held it. And then they said, action, and he went. And, and then he squeezed something. And the blood ran. And we were all like, today they show you slow motion. It goes in, the skin bursts open, the blood spatters on the wall into a guy's eye. And we're like, at home. And then we wonder why people kill people, because you're being made immune to it. You're being made, they say, They say by the time a child is 15 years old, they would have seen 13,000 people killed on TV and movies. You want to know why we kill? So yeah, let me give you this quickly, because the time is running out. Seven ways to keep ourselves from bordering on murder. Because don't think you're not capable of it. Every person in this room watching Kailami and at home is capable of murder. You haven't done it yet, but you're capable of it because it comes from the heart and if, you don't, if you're not careful, it'll boil over. So number one, the first thing you need to do is we need to maintain healthy emotions. Because murder's roots come from the emotions. 
Now watch this, there are two types of emotions, and this is where a lot of murder comes from. People have no emotions. Let's talk about unhealthy, there's no emotion. They feel apathy, they feel nothing. That's where, where psychopaths come from, and I don't have time to read the stats today. They say the psychopaths, narcissism is on the increase. People feel nothing for each other, they feel nothing to steal, they feel nothing to murder, why? Because they've got unhealthy emotions. Their emotions are not regulated by God. Their emotions are regulated by their selfish desires. Number two, we need to deal with our anger correctly. So this is also healthy emotions. You see, if you've got no emotions, it's bad, but if you've got emotions that are out of control or that are boiling over, that's also bad. And so you've got no emotions, and then you've got high emotions. And we've got to guard our anger. I read an article uh, just this morning. It popped up on my phone. A man called Clifford Anthony Bliss. He killed his neighbor because his neighbor's cat strayed into his garden. And he took out his, his rifle, and his neighbor came and said, no, no, don't shoot the cat. So he shot his neighbor twice. I mean, now you read that, but that's happening more and more frequently. It's not a rare, oh, wow, he's a weirdo. No, it's happening more. He's 58 years old. You'd think he'd have some wisdom. He's not a youngster. He's not a 16-year-old who's reckless, who was a, you know, grown up as a, as a criminal in a gang. There's a 58-year-old man living in a neighborhood. Everyone knows him as a hothead. Why? Because he can't control his anger. Matthew, Matthew chapter 5, Jesus says, again, anyone who says to his brother, Raka, is answerable to the Sanhedrin. But anyone who says, you fool, will be in, the danger, in danger of the fire of hell. Raka means worthless or drop dead. That's what it means in the Hebrew. And so anger and words can lead to murder. And they say anger and danger are only one syllable different from each other. Danger is a D added to anger. Good to remember that, eh? And we need to control ourselves and, uh, and not be in a hurry. They say when you get angry and you count to 10 and recite the first phrase of the Lord's Prayer, and that will count you to 10 and be swift to speak, slow to wrath, because the, the anger of man does not work the righteousness of God. Number, th number three, is this helping? Develop a godly self-image. Why do I say godly self-image? I don't say develop your self-image. Develop a godly self-image. Because when Cain killed Abel, he killed him because there was rejection. Cain didn't reject him. Cain just obeyed God. But, uh, sorry, Abel didn't reject Cain. Abel just honored God. But Cain felt rejection. And when you have a godly self-image and you know who you are in God you tend to take rejection less seriously. Now, say if someone steals from you, someone does something to you, you can take that rejection more easily when you know who you are in Christ and when you know the heart of man is evil. But it is a very difficult thing and we have to keep reverting to it or we will come unstuck. And uh, most people think, think they're always wrong or most people think they're always right. Somewhere in the middle is a godly self-esteem. And uh, particularly in South Africa right now on the roads, probably on a daily basis, we have to handle rejection because everybody is doing their own thing and it's very hard to keep your cool. Number four, guard against selfishness. I know there's more points in here than a porcupine, but I do think it'll help you if you can write it down and you can think clearly 
about these four simple words. God against selfishness. You say, well, why selfishness? What's that got to do with murder? Well, David took Bathsheba. Didn't that come from selfishness? I want her. But she's married. Yeah, but I want her. And then he takes her, and then she falls pregnant. So what does he do? Selfishness. Not only selfish to take her and sleep with her, she belongs to someone else. Then he takes her husband, puts him in the firing line, a man far better than, than David, and allows him to be killed. Selfishness ends up causing us to break all the commandments. You steal, you commit adultery, you covet. Why? Self is at the root of it. And you've got to guard against selfishness. People have always murdered because they want to cover up their crimes. Someone else is going to tell the truth about them, so they murder them. Someone else is going to defeat them at the polls in the municipal elections, so they go and shoot them. Why? Because the selfishness. I went my way. And uh, you know all the school shootings in America that you've read of? Uh, they just happen just about every month. There's a school shooting. All those school shootings as a result of selfishness. And uh, Sean Johnston is a forensic psychologist, and uh, he's done 5,000 interviews over 20 years with people about these school shootings. And this is what he says. He says, the recent bunch of accused killers are very self-centered, very self-absorbed, angry youngsters who derive extraordinary pleasure from savage vengeance they wreak on one another. The mental world of these young killers is all about me. They're frustrated, angry, in some pain, not getting everything they want. They feel like victims. They have no concern about others. They don't think about others. It's all about who they are and what they want. See, people say, why do they, you know, these killings, why? Well, there you go. Selfishness is at the root of it. Number five, realize every person is an eternal being valuable to God. No matter how badly they behave, they are still an eternal person valuable to God. And we don't have the right to kill anyone other than in punishment or in wartime. Number six, be quick to forgive and reconcile. In fact, Jesus says if you have something against someone, don't come to the altar and offer your gift. Don't come to church. Go deal with it quickly. Because if you let it stew, it can turn into something worse, violence and murder. And you've got to forgive. You know, the woman who founded the Red Cross, her name was uh, J.J. Clara Barton, and she founded the Red Cross in America. She never bore grudges, and her friends knew her for that. And, and, and once a friend said to her, don't you remember the time when I, and she wanted to remind her, and she said this, no, I distinctly remember forgetting that. We need to be quick to forgive and to reconcile. And number seven, here's the last one, and I hope you've helped, been helped. Maintain a pure heart. Don't let your heart get clogged with hurts and people you don't like and racism and all sorts of bitterness that gets in. It will end up coming out because from the heart come murder and all these things. And Jesus said in Matthew 15, for out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, slander. They all come out of the heart, and laws can't change the heart. You need to guard your heart, and by the Holy Spirit, you need to keep your heart in good condition. Clarence Darrow, as I wrap up here today, he was a lawyer in America, and he said this. He said, I've never killed a man, but I've read many obituaries with great pleasure. You see, you've got to guard your heart. Because from your heart come all 
these things. I want to close with this verse, and then I'm going to pray with you. Psalm 19 and verse 8 says this, The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. Let's hold on to God's commands. Let's respect them, but let's believe to fulfill them in the power of the Holy Spirit. You see, the Father loves us. The Son came and died for our sins, but the Holy Spirit now comes and enables us to live out what God requires. You can't do this on your own. You can't do it in human strength. You can't do it by feelings. You've got to do it by the power of the Holy Spirit. And I thank God for His mercy to us. When we fail, He forgives us. Even murderers were forgiven. You know, when, when someone murdered someone unintentionally, they were able to run to the cities of refuge and they were able to hide there. Otherwise, the relatives would kill that person. And the Lord has always seen judgment, but then he's always shown mercy. And Jesus is a picture of that city of refuge. We can run to him when we fail. When we sin and fall, we can go to him and he gives us mercy, but then he shows us how to live right. I'm gonna hand over to Sean in a moment, but I wanna pray with people at Kailami and in Santon right now. Won't you bow your head with me? And if you're watching at home, bow your head with me wherever you are and in the room. And I'm going to take a moment to pray with you uh, right now. You know, this is a good opportunity for us to say, Lord, help me today. Many of us are suffering from stress and pressure, anger. I find that anger boils over so easily because there's so much disorder and so much injustice. You read the news, you get angry. You drive on the road, you get angry. And, and, and so our hearts need to be God. And maybe today we say, Lord, we give you our hearts. We come to you again. We say, Lord, take our hearts. Give us your peace. Help us to be peacemakers. Help us to be forgivers. Help us to have healthy emotions, not to store up stuff. And in the end, it boils over. And uh, free us from that and, and, and use us for your glory. And help us to see every human being, no matter how they dress, no matter how they're behaving, as valuable in your sight. And you know, as we seek to be used by God, we can be peacemakers in the world. Now, while our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed today, maybe you're in the room, you're saying, I need to recommit my life to the Lord. I've, I've, I've drifted away. I'm not where I should be with God. And you know, I'm glad I'm in church. You're in Kailami this morning, you're in Santon. Maybe at home, you're watching online, you say, you know what, I need to recommit my life to the Lord today. I want to pray with you in a moment, and I'm going to lead you in prayer. And all of us across both campuses, we're going to help you if you're at home online, we're going to pray together. But maybe you're in Santon this morning or in Kailami and you say, you know what? I don't know the Lord. I've never invited him into my life. We have a number of visitors in the building. Maybe you're at home today watching him. You say, you know what? I've tuned in and I'm watching, but I don't know Jesus Christ. And I want to know him today. Well, I'm going to lead you in a prayer. And we're all going to pray just a short prayer. You can rededicate your life and you can give your heart to Jesus. Jesus died for your sins, but receiving him is not automatic. You have to pray a prayer of faith, believing in him and receiving him. So with our heads bowed, our eyes closed, I can see the people in Santa and I can't see them in Kailami. But today, you say, yes, you know, I, I, I need you to pray with me. Well, I'm not going to make you stand up. I'm not going to call you to the front. We're simply going to pray. Just raise your hand. Say, yeah, that's me today. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Yes, great. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Up in the gallery, just hold it up high. So wave at me. Yeah, that's awesome. Thank you. Wonderful. We're going to pray in just a moment. In Kalomi, raise your hand there. Say, yeah, that's me today. I want Jesus to come into my life. I want to recommit my life to the Lord. At home, yes, I need Jesus today. I don't know him. Quickly, I'm going to pray. I've only got a couple of minutes left, and I need to do this quickly because our stream ends. 
but I want to make sure you're included. That's it. Raise your hand. Awesome. You can put your hands down both campuses. What I'm going to do now is we're going to pray out loud. Church, will you help me in the room? Will you help me in Kailami? And for those of you at home, pray out loud. Pray this prayer with me. Thank you, Father, for your son, Jesus, who died for my sins so I can be justified. I believe in him today. And I receive him today. And I recommit to him today. I make him the Lord of my life and put my life in his hands to follow him, to serve him. And I thank you, Father, for that. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. We hope you have been blessed and inspired by this message.